I'd like to introduce my family. This is um, my wife, Lena, my, my two younger children, Will and Abigail. Will is 12, Abby is 11. Will's, Will's going to turn 13 soon, so they weren't like Irish twins. <laughs> um, we have two older ones, uh, Hannah, who's 20, and Colton is 18. And uh, Hannah is leading worship right now at Destiny Church in Dayton, Ohio. So we're very, very proud of her. And uh, uh, you'll hear a little bit more from Lena in a bit. If you want to stay up while I share the entry, you guys can sit down. In 2003, uh, the week before Christmas, a friend of ours stopped by and she gave us two Christmas gifts. They were alpaca sweaters from Peru. Alpacas are a type of llama. And uh, she gave us these two sweaters as Christmas gifts. And then she proceeded to tell us that in 1993, 10 years prior, she went to Peru on a missions trip. And while she was there, the Holy Spirit spoke to her and told her to buy the two sweaters and that she was to hang on to them until he told her who to give them to and when. She waited 10 years. And then, that week of 2003, the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, give them to Bill and Lena. At that point in time, I'd been working in Chi Alpha, which is the ministry uh, that H uh, was part of, and also other friends here, Katie and Paul and Becky Lyle, Kara. And uh, so we all knew each other for years and years. I didn't have a plan necessarily of, of uh, changing that. Though, like all good disciples, uh, if the Lord calls, you go. But uh, that day, things changed. Our friend gave us those sweaters, and she said, there's a message from God in those sweaters. And I said, well, what is it? She said, well, that's for you to find out. So every day, I took my sweater to my bedroom, and I laid, my, uh, I laid it on the bed. And I knelt at the bed, and I put my forehead on the sweater with my hands on each side, and I screamed out to God in a loud voice, God, what's the message? People always laugh at that, but it's the truth. <laughs> and if I can take a little bit of a detour on that one point, I want to encourage you to pray out loud. To pray out loud. The level of the volume of your prayers will really help the level of volume of your faith. And when we whisper our prayers, it's like we're not, you know, like, I don't know, warriors charging into battle. They, they, don't, they don't whisper. It doesn't work. So I don't always scream my prayers, but when it counts, I do. And God spoke every day, every day, giving us another confirmation that he had called us to be missionaries to Peru. I want to share two of those messages, one I'm going to share and one my wife's going to share about the Bible. And so in the year 2000, I took a team of Chi Alpha students to Mexico. So this was three years before we got the sweaters. And while we were there, we were driving through a barrio of extremely poor children. 
And for those who've been to the Baja region of Mexico, it's Vicente Guerrero. It's infamous because it's, a, it's an extremely poor slum area. And I saw hundreds of kids wandering the streets. They lived in cardboard shacks with garbage bags for roofs. And there were no adults. And I said to the missionary who was driving the van, uh, where are the adults? And she said, oh, these kids are the children of migrant farm workers. Their parents are hun hundreds of miles from here, harvesting crops in another area. And I said, well, how come these kids aren't in school? She said, well, in Mexico, schooling is free, but it costs $50 to buy the school uniform. And their families don't have the 50 bucks to buy the school uniform. She said, these kids will never go to school. Their parents never went to school. These kids will never go to school. And their children will never go to school. She said, their only hope is to wait until they're 14 when they get to work the migrant fields themselves. Some of the kids were carrying babies. I said, whose baby is that? She said, well, it could be that girl's. The girl was about 12 years old. She said, or it could be her mom's. Sometimes the mothers will give birth out in the fields, bring the baby back here, and leave it with a 12-year-old, and then go back to work. Man, I burst into tears. I burst into tears. These kids were chasing the van, begging us to throw out anything that was of value. They had nothing. But what they really didn't have was any hope. They didn't have a future. These kids were slaves, just waiting until they were old enough to be beaten into submission and go to work so they could just get just enough to eat. And I prayed to God. I said, God, if you ever call me out of campus ministry, I pray that you would call me to a ministry where I can change the lives of children like these. Well, three years later, we got the sweaters. And then shortly after that, I went to a meeting of uh, Assembly of God leaders for world missions, and I said, what's going on in Peru? Now, I did not want to tell the guy in charge of Latin America, that I was there because someone had given me a sweater with llamas on it, and then I felt like I was called to Peru, even though that was true. And he said, oh, Peru's a country of incredible need. He said, in fact, we have a ministry there called Latin America Child Care, where we take children who have been abandoned by their parents because of economic need, and we help them to attend a private Christian school where we feed them and provide them medical care. But the most important thing we provide them is a stable Christian adult, their teacher in that classroom, who wraps her arms around them and is frequently the only adult in their lives. He said, but in Peru, we haven't had a director for years, and we desperately need somebody to lead Latin America child care in Peru. And I knew in that moment that the Holy Spirit had poured his heart into mine for a brief moment. And that my tears in that van that day weren't mine, they were God's. And every once in a while, I think that if God did that to us all the time, we would explode. And so some people say, how come God isn't talking to me like that all the time? I don't think we could handle it. I think we'd like burn up from the holiness of God or something like that. But for a brief moment, he let me share his heart. And I knew in that moment that I was taking a step of destiny. I grabbed the brochure, I went home to my wife. I said, have you ever heard of Latin America child care? She said, don't you remember 
I wrote a letter of inquiry to work with them when I got out of college, but they said she had to be a pastor and she wasn't ready to get credentialed. And uh, so she put it on the shelf and said, it's up to you, Lord. Sometimes when the Lord calls and it isn't your time yet, that doesn't mean the time isn't coming. Because there was 15 years that passed between when she put that, that, that little inspired thought on the shelf between then and when I came home with that brochure. When we decided to go to Peru, at that point, point in time, this was back in 2003, and in the 90s, Peru was extremely dangerous. Right now, I'm happy to say that uh, it's not a dangerous place. And when you all come and work with us in a team, you'll be very, very safe. You will get diarrhea. But if we're all honest, a bunch of you have diarrhea already. So, <laughs> you know, don't blame me. Okay? But people told us, they used to say, you're not going to come here, are you? You know, they kidnap children here. With that, I leave it over to my wife. That was um, during our visit. And um, we decided that we needed to take the opportunity to go here. see. Speak into this one. Over there. Just, just talk into it. I don't want to miss it. No. <laughs> we um, just felt that we needed to figure out what, what it was that we were stepping into. We needed to see what the situation was. I was pregnant with Abigail at the time. I was about, I was just on the edge between being considered a bad mommy for traveling, <laughs> and I had to go quickly. And so um, we went to Peru to check out uh, what it was like, and people kept saying to us, you're not gonna bring your children here, you know, they kidnap children here. And frankly, we went, and um, this is something important, you know, when you're discerning God's voice. It's not always pleasant or the perfect, like I, I didn't get off the plane and think I was in Disneyland. <laughs> it was dirty. It's Latin America, it's a desert. Um, it doesn't rain there, so um, all, the, all the dirt and dust sticks to the buildings and it becomes very sticky. And if your first thought as an American is, why don't they wash these? <laughs> and it doesn't come off. They either have to paint it or leave it. And, uh, but anyway, we arrived and it was, it was dark and it was cold and, and it frightened me. And um, the, there was no grass. There was just dirt everywhere. And so Bill said to me, you know, we, we were talking about it. And he was like, do you, what are you getting, what read are you getting? Do you think that this is um, for us? And, uh, and I told him, I said, frankly, right now, I, I feel that maybe God is calling us here, but I can't say that I like this place. It frightens me. People are telling me that my kids are going to be in danger. And um, so we agree. We tell the truth. You know, God is not afraid to hear the truth from you. He's not afraid to hear exactly what you're thinking. There's nothing you can tell God that's going to shock him or surprise him. So I thought I'd just be honest. And so I said, Lord, um, I'm, af I'm afraid of this place. It's dirty, and I'm afraid of for my kids. And I'm pregnant, and I'm emotional. <laughs> and uh, the next morning, we agreed in prayer. We said, okay, God, we don't like this place, but we think maybe you're calling us here. Do something with us. <laughs> and we went to bed. And the next morning, we woke up, and I opened my Bible. And I, it wasn't anything special. I didn't have any light on the page or anything. But um, I opened my Bible just in, the, in the, my progression of, in the book that I was in, and it was in Deuteronomy. And it said, um, it, was, it was Moses, and he was telling, uh, he was going over all the years of, of ministry. He was getting ready to, to die, really. And he said to the Israelites, um, God told you to go and take the promised land, but you weren't willing. And because you weren't willing, he will send your children to go and take the promised land. 
And you, as for you, you will wander in the desert. You wandered in the desert for 40 years. And, um, and, and oh, did I miss it? I did miss it. There's a part where he says, you were afraid to take the promised land because you were afraid that they would take your children captive. And that was exactly the fear that I had been dealing with. Somebody's gonna take my kids. Somebody's gonna hurt my children. But you know, God gives us the capacity and the will to do what he sends us to do. But there is also, you know, God's great this way. He's a firm father. He'll tell you what to do, but he'll also let you know that there's a consequence. And I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me in my heart, Lena, you can follow me now and obey me, or you can, one day you can put one of your kids, all your kids maybe, on a plane and wonder what would have happened if you had obeyed me. And that will be your desert. And uh, I said, I don't want a desert for 40 years. I'll go, I'll go. And what she actually said was, she slammed her finger on the table and said, I will not be afraid. And I said, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. So we're the directors of Latin America Child Care, not only for Peru, but for the Indian region. We oversee the countries of Bolivia, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, and another one, Venezuela. <laughs> Americans are not that great at geography, so when I have to make a list of countries, I'm really struggling. Um, with that, I'm going to show a quick video. Hi everybody, Bill and Lena Schrader here. We're at our school, Victoria de Jesus, the Victory of Jesus, in Iquitos. This is the school that floods every year. I want to say thank you for supporting Latin American child care and for blessing these children. Because without your support, they couldn't go to school. Their parents don't even earn $100 a month. They don't earn enough money to feed the children, which is why we have a feeding program here. These kids are learning about Jesus, they're getting an education, and they're getting food. It's because you have helped. Thank you so much. Estamos listos? Um, we also do some other issues or other works. How do you call that? I have other hats that I wear, as does my wife. You know, we did Chi Alpha Ministry, which is uh, an evangelistic and discipleship ministry reaching out to college students. We did that for, I did it for 25 years. My wife did it considerably less because of her much younger age. And uh, uh, in Peru, we do it there as well because... Uh, it's a lot of fun ministering to and discipling college students, and I love it, and so does my wife. We have a ministry. Uh, we, we teach people how to do Chi Alpha. We call it La Red Universitaria, the network of university ministries, or the university network. And uh, we also have our own outreach, which Lena directs, called What Jesus Said. Peruvians are required in college, Peruvian college students are required to pass English proficiency exams. And so Lena offers to help them with their English by reading through a passage uh, in the Gospels of what Jesus said and then conversing about that. And with that, we're very happy to help you with your English. One guy said to her, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're going to help me with my English and all I have to do is listen to what Jesus said about like something that you said Jesus said in the Bible. And Lena said, you got it. He goes, I'm in. And uh, that's a lot of fun. 
So, Latin America Child Care, University Ministry, I teach theology at the Assemblies of God uh, University and Seminary in Lima, Peru. If you have questions about predestination, we already knew that ahead of time. Uh, and uh, we do church planting, and uh, we have a church uh, right now in Lima called Iglesia Internacional Misión Vida, the International Church Mission Life. Sometimes the translation doesn't always work, <laughs> but it sounds really good in Spanish. And um, those are our lives, and we have our kids, and uh, we have Jesus, and that makes a full plate. Um, before I go on, I want to say, as we wrap up this introduction so that you know us better, I want to say this. If there's anything you get from what we've said so far, I want you to know that God is alive and he's still speaking. And some people look at Christianity like it's a smorgasbord option, like a menu at a restaurant, and you have a good meal, but a good meal doesn't change your life. But that's not what Christianity is. That might be what the other religions are. You can pick and choose what they say that God is, a bunch of people sitting around hypothesizing about maybe what God is. The problem with Christianity is that he actually shows up, he walks through the walls, and he says, Thomas, look at the wounds on my hands, look at the, touch the hole in my side, and see if I am not real and not a ghost. That's what we're stuck with in this one. And when he says that to you, like Thomas, you got to fall to your knees and say, my Lord and my God. He might bring some alpaca sweaters to your house. He might bring a friend that says a prophetic word. He might just open up the Bible and show you a scripture and say to you in the still small voice, that's my word for you. However he does it, you're still stuck with the realization that the risen Lord has walked into your room and spoken to you and left you with a blessed responsibility to bow before him in worship and then to enjoy fellowship with him forever. That's a beautiful thing. When the going gets tough, don't forget, he still speaks. and He will speak into your situation just as he spoke to ours on that day in Lima when we were afraid. I want to show a couple pictures before I dive into the uh, passage of Scripture. Um, this is my buddy Axel. He is nine years old. He's a sweet kid. He's in a church in Iquitos where I was when we took that video. And uh, the church is called La Hermosa, the Beautiful. It was clearly, as you can tell, named by faith. This is Axel's uh, brother, Juan, and Juan right now is my poster child. He's with my friend, Caleb Anderson, uh, and um, Caleb came down on a trip and met Juan, and uh, we sponsor children, $36 a month you can sponsor a child to go to school, to receive food, uh, and to have a transformed life. And uh, um, when we came, we work at this school at the time of the jungle, and we got down there, Juan, who's 11, is incredibly charismatic and warm. He just exudes warmth. And I love this kid. And uh, he came up to my son, Colton, and said, are you Missionary Billy's boy? And Colton said, I sure am. He said, yeah, your dad and me, we go way back. 
<laughs> um, if I had known that Juan didn't have a sponsor, I would have sponsored him in a heartbeat. But I didn't know. I thought he had a sponsor. Axel, his younger brother, had a sponsor. Juan was going to our school, but he didn't have a sponsor, which meant that his parents had to pay. His parents don't make anything. They live in a shack that has one wall. The other three are not there. There's just a roof, and uh, they have one bed in the middle of the shack. That's their furniture. Juan and his Axel and their sister Suri sleep on a wooden plank. They have no water, no toilet, nothing. They don't even live in the conditions that we live in when we go camping. If I had known he didn't have a sponsor, I would have picked him up. Now, the one who found out that he didn't have a sponsor was Caleb's wife. And that's why we have this great picture of Juan and Caleb instead of a picture of Juan and me. But that's okay. I'm glad that my friend is sponsoring Juan. And I'm glad that Juan gets to go to school, that he gets a hot lunch, and that he's hearing the gospel. And that there are people that love him, and are sharing the love of Jesus with him. Um, that's a little part of our lives. I want to share just another one. We also minister up way up high in the Andes Mountains. This is a picture of my daughter Hannah and I. And uh, no, it's not. That's a picture of Caleb. I've been, there we go. Uh, Hannah and I leading worship in this Quechua village, way, way up the mountain, higher in altitude than Cusco. So at that point, we had a team up there. Three of them were throwing up and writhing on the ground <laughs> because of, there was no oxygen. And, um, and uh, with that, I want to say a word. If you want to reach the lost, you have to go a little bit farther than everybody else. The lost don't always come to your front door. Sometimes you have to go to theirs. So here we're in this little adobe hut with a garbage, not garbage, but it had like a plastic tarp for a roof. And we're leading worship. This Quechua community is really sweet. And uh, I share it because it's one of my favorite memories to get to go up to that far away place, the Quechua Indians in the mountains of the Andes, and to get to lead worship and to preach, really sweet. These are some of the ladies in that community. And uh, that's how they dress. It's a... We, we don't dress like that in Lima, usually. But, uh, and uh, one of the little girls, isn't she cute? This day when we went there, the, the pastor who invited us up did a baptismal service, and we got to lead worship for the baptismal service. And uh, it was really, really a sweet, sweet time. Okay, I um, want to talk to you about ministry to the poor as an act of worship. And I want to focus well, on both of them. But my goal this morning, uh, I mean, people say to me, because I go around and I speak, and we're missionaries, so we raise support. Um, and if you feel like the Holy Spirit is calling you to partner with us, then please do so. But people say to me a lot of times, like, you know, like, like uh, how does it feel begging for a living? And um, I find that question offensive, 
because uh, when I come and speak, that's not my goal. So I'm, I don't beg. Well, I do when we're a couple weeks out and we have to leave, and I don't have money for the tickets, but that's another, you know, I only do that to friends. My goal this morning is that you'll have a greater vision of Jesus, and you'll, you'll connect with his heartbeat. And so I like to think when we connect with his heart and we start to conform ourselves to what's going on in his desires, that's when we really enter into worship. Sometimes we like to sing, and we'll say things like, uh, okay, God, you're really, really great. You're really, really great. Pay my bills. Buy me a new car. Fix the TV. Now, the really, really great part is a worship act. And I share from my own experience, because a lot of times I come to worship with worries. But when we really connect with his heartbeat, and we start to feel what he's feeling, that's when worship really starts to get some traction. There's a lot of scriptures that'll talk to, that talk about touching the heart of God through ministry to the poor. And I was looking, if you saw guys, I was flipping through Facebook when H was presenting us, hoping to find this text that I'd posted to Facebook. It was a passage out of the New Living Translation where it said, uh, those that reach out to the widow and the orphan are doing so as an act of worship to God. And I, but of course, I posted it to Facebook, and uh, now I can't find it. You have to trust me that that's somewhere in the New Living Translation. I want you to open up your Bibles with me to chapter 25 of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, it's the first uh, book of the New Testament. And in chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew, Jesus addresses a question, as answering a question that the apostles have asked him. The apostles at this point in time have recognized that he is the Messiah. They've recognized that he's actually divine. They have figured out that he's not just a guy sent to do the work of God, but that he's God himself come to do the work of God. Something about standing up in the boat during the middle of a storm and telling the storm to quit changes your opinion about people. Watching somebody raise the dead and having them say to you, I have the power to do that, changes your opinion about them. So they came to him and they knew that the Messiah was supposed to come back and reinstitute David's kingdom so that Israel would be the place where God dwells, the temple, God would dwell in his temple like it was a palace and, and God would exalt Israel once again to its uh, exalted state in the world as, as God's house, God, the place where God lives and hangs out. He could vacation in Florida, but he lives in Israel. That's their mindset. And they say to Jesus in chapter 24, what is going to be the sign of your coming? <clears throat> How are we going to know when, before you get here so we can prepare ourselves? And Jesus, in chapter 24, gives a list of signs. Earthquakes, wars, uh, an incredible rise of evil in the world, 
Is anybody here a little bit worried about the, the end of the age coming? I'm a strong believer, and I know I'm going to heaven, and yet it frightens me. I confess that. I am not so great in my faith that I'm looking forward to it, and yet I'm looking forward to when it's all over. Right? And um, so the apostles wanted to get ready. So Jesus gave them the list. But in chapter 25, he does a very Jesus thing. And he switches from giving a direct answer to their question to giving the answer that he really wanted to give. And we call that uh, a non sequitur. A non sequitur is when someone says, what time is it? And the other person answers blue. Doesn't make any sense unless you're there and you're really following the clock and you see that maybe the nine o'clock is in blue letters. And then that non sequitur, that illogical answer, makes a lot of sense. And you gotta watch Jesus when you're reading the Gospels because I always refer to him as the king of non sequiturs. And uh, in this one, he goes right to it. They say, what is going to be the sign of your coming? And then he says, well, let me tell you a little story. There was once a manager of, of a big operation, and the owner of the operation said, I'm going on vacation. I want you to take care of everything. And then the owner stayed on vacation for a long time. And after a while, the manager got kind of bored waiting for him, so he began to abuse the other employees, and he began to eat and drink the owner's food and take advantage of all the wealth that had been left in his hands. And then the owner got back and saw that the manager was not doing a good job, so he beat him and kicked him out. And the apostles are like, that wasn't the question I asked. And he goes, well, okay, so there were these bridesmaids waiting to come to a wedding for the wedding, and the groom hadn't gotten there yet. So they were going to walk into the wedding carrying these beautiful lamps filled with oil. But the groom took so long in getting there that some of their lamps burned out. There was like 10 of them that were the bridesmaids for the ceremony, and ten of, so like five of their lamps burned out. And the other five, they brought some extra oil with them, and they were ready. And so when the groom got there, he said, okay, I'm here. Let's all go in. Let the wedding begin. But the five who had let their lamps run out of oil said, hang on, I got to go to Walmart and buy some more of that citronella. And he said, sorry, and he closed the doors, and they didn't get to go into the wedding. Still not the question we asked, Lord, Master. The sign of your coming. And uh, then he tells another story. He tells the story of um, the talents. You guys have heard about that, the talents? One guy gets 10, one guy gets 5, one guy gets 2. Talents are worth about, one talent was worth about $4,000. So the guy that got 10 talents, he got 40 grand. And his master said, invest this. And when I get back, let's see what you got. But there was one guy who said, who said I knew you were cruel. I think that's interesting to try like to say that to God. I knew that you were cruel. So I just buried it. I stuck it in my drawer in the bedroom. Here's your 4 grand. So the guy that only had the one talent, the master said, you should have at least put it in the bank. Then I would have gotten interest. And he kicked him out of the kingdom. 
Still haven't figured out yet how this applies to the sign of Jesus' coming. Anybody with me? Anybody want to take a guess what the real answer is? The real answer is, in every one of those stories, the master delayed and the person who had been left in charge of something fell asleep and wasn't ready when the master got back and the master was not pleased. He kicked that person out or he closed the door and didn't let the person in, in the case of the bridesmaids. And so Jesus said, you guys want to know what the sign of my coming is, and my answer to you is, get ready. Because you're going to think it's going to be a long time, that I'm going to be a long time coming, and then in the flash of a moment, I'm going to show up. And Some people are going to be ready, and some people aren't. Are you ready? Have I put fear into anyone today? Good, good. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let's be ready. Let us not fall asleep and think, you know that whole Jesus thing, man, I'm not sure. I think I'm just going to go carouse a bit. I want to read the last story. The other ones were called parables, and they were like stories that's supposed to teach you something. But this one is not a parable. If you look at this, Jesus doesn't say, like, let me tell you a little story that you can apply. He actually starts to speak to them in first and third person. Me and you all. Okay? Chapter 25. And uh, I'm reading from, uh, I'm reading out of the NIV, the New International Version, and uh, starting with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes, and the phrase Son of Man is one of those freaky phrases that you're going to read in the New Testament. Jesus keeps calling himself the Son of Man. That's a quote out of the prophet Ezekiel and the prophet Daniel. And it's a reference to the title that God has when he returns to judge the earth. So when Jesus called himself the Son of Man, Jews at the time who were familiar with the books of Ezekiel and Daniel knew he is claiming divinity. And he's saying that he's the one who's going to come back and judge the earth. And that's the whole theme here, right? So the phrase, when the Son of Man comes, totally makes sense. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, that's a claim of divinity, he will sit on his glorious throne. Only God gets to sit on a glorious throne, guys. Okay? All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, sheep and goats are interesting animals. They graze together during the day, but at night, the sheep have a lot of wool on them, and they're warm, but the goats don't. So the farmer has to take the goats and put them in um, a stall or something to keep them warm. Okay? So if you're farming with sheep and goats, it's a normal thing to separate them at night. What's the theme of the whole question? What will be the sign of your coming when you come back to judge the world? and to institute this new glorious kingdom. Verse 33, He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, let me stop for a brief moment. Oh, that's a little girl. Okay. I had a picture of sheep and goats earlier, just so you guys would, I don't know, know what they look like. I don't know. 
we have sheep and goats up in the mountains of Peru. And, and the goats are really delicious. Just let you know. Okay. Uh, was it 34? Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you, are you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. There's a lot of people who teach that there is no place of judgment. People who teach that there is no hell. I have to say, that's not what I see from what Jesus talks about. He frequently talks about a place where people go who didn't want to participate with him in his work and in his life. C.S. Lewis said, and I paraphrase here, Nobody goes to hell who doesn't want to. He said, people who go to hell are the people who chose to live without God in this life, and their desire was to live without him forever. And so he lets them. Man, I want to let you know, my desire, frankly, my desire is to enjoy eternity. And I really am a lovey-dovey guy, and I want to live in the presence of love. And I don't want to live with the absence of it, and I really don't want to live in fire. I don't know what hell is, literally. There are images of it, and in this case, Jesus talks about it with fire. Whatever it is, it's bad. And I don't want to go there. I want to be with the King of Glory, and I want to be with love, and I want to enjoy eternity. Anybody with me? Amen. Um, 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will answer, and here's the key word, they will answer, Lord, these are believers. These are not sinners who are living a reckless life and saying, I don't want anything to do with you. These are people who were calling Jesus Lord. My point today is there's something about worship that goes beyond making a verbal declaration where we have to connect with the very heart of God.
Are you with me? Many will say, Lord, Lord, but they don't know him, and they're not really wanting to. They will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. In this passage, the righteous are not people who we normally think of as being holy. Maybe a priestly guy wearing fancy robes, walking around very pure and untouchable. They're just normal folk who are taking care of people in need. And God says, you know what? I like that. When I see my kids doing the things that are on my heart, I am filled with joy. And so is God. 